Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. I am Johnny. He is Andy. We're here to break down all the amazing things happening around Ohio State sports in the past week. And, I, you know, we we come in, we're hyped, we're like, let's talk about Ohio State. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, oh my God. And then you've got to talk about the basketball team. And it it just feels like for every one step they take forward, they take like 20 step backwards. And I just don't. I don't know how to feel about this team. I don't necessarily at this point know how to feel about Chris Holtman. It's 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 wild how shook I am as an Ohio State basketball fan. Are you feeling the same way or, or am I overreacting? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet. We were, you, know, you and I were having some pretty good discussions over the weekend with our colleagues uh, yeah. at 11 Warriors about how ready we are to to, to pull the ripcord on the, on, uh, you know, the the experience we're having. What I think has really blown my mind this season is how quickly we've gone from Chris Holtman is a living legend and let's cast the statue <laughs> right. now to what on earth is happening here. So this this game with Wisconsin is another one where you just look and say, it, it's really obvious what the problem is that in the games they lose, they can't hit a battleship with a beach ball. And when they shoot halfway decent, you know, more often than not, they win. And that that was the story, you know, early in the season, they're shooting lights out. And then you get into these tough stretches, uh, you know, three game win streak. That's pretty good. And then you drop one that you feel like, gosh, if they had been able to muster any sort of offensive consistency, the game was there for the taking. You look at all the stats, rebounds, pretty evenly matched. Um, you look, you know, Wisconsin had a lot more points off the bench, but beyond that block steals, um, Wisconsin also had a lot more assists, but you know, block steals and rebounds were pretty consistent. And and Ohio State was only marginally sloppier with the ball in terms of turnovers. So this wasn't a game where turnovers killed them, like some of the you know earlier ugly, ugly games that they played in that, sure. that big long stretch of losing efforts. I, I'm just really concerned uh, about the shooting and when when are they going to have a consistent offensive identity. Well, what I don't get, I mean, look, obviously teams can be hot and cold and they're not always going to be great throughout the season. They're not always going to be bad throughout the season, but it just feels like when they're not shooting, it destroys everything else that they're trying to do, right? They, they stop passing as well. They they lose form offensively. Defensively, they start to lag a little bit. It just feels like every time they get inside their own heads, they just kind of stop playing a little bit. And, and one of the biggest, I mean, if you look at the last the very last part of the first half, like the last four or five minutes, that's really when you could, you just watch this team falling apart. The game cast is something I always pay really close attention to after these games, because I think it does a really good job at showing the flow of how everything was going for the last four and a half minutes of the first half. Ohio State didn't score a point. Like that's terrible by itself, but you went from a game that was a two point Wisconsin lead, right? Something where you're like, all right, we can manage this with four and a half minutes left in the half to a 18 point Wisconsin lead at the end of the first half. That is insane. You cannot look. It's one thing if your buckets aren't going down fine, right? That's okay. That sucks, but you can handle that. You cannot let a team go on a 16 to zero run to finish a half. You can, maybe it's a zero run. Maybe you don't score any points, but you can't let them score 16 points in four and a half minutes. That is insane. So for me to look at this team, you know, the shooting's a problem, but to me, it's more of a psychological issue, and that's what's causing me as a fan to freak out a little bit because 
look, players are going to get hot and cold. I understand that. I accept that. But as a coach, you've got to be able to manage that and tell your players that they've got to be in it at all times. And as you said, we were super high on Holtman for his ability to do that. His teams looked like they never quit. That was the thing that we kept talking about for the best two seasons. No matter what happens to this team mentally, they never, ever, ever quit. They're always in it. And that has been the complete opposite this season. We have not seen that at all from this team. If they are not in it mentally, they're done. It's over. And you saw it against Wisconsin, which, again, is not a great basketball team. They're 14-10 and 10 at this point, even with the win. I think one of the things that I'm, I've been wondering about more and more is if that all that pre – I always get into the habit of calling it the preseason, the uh, the non-conference schedule. If that kind of just incredible run in the non-conference schedule got them to kind of believing their own hype, and then all of a sudden you come into, you know, the grist mill that is the Big Ten, and suddenly you had this. Teams talk about adversity, and a lot of times when they do, I feel like it's just coach speak nonsense yeah uh, like okay how much adversity do you really have as a you know big time college athlete okay fine but in this case it's like okay you started running into teams that were clearly better than you and you didn't know what to do because you'd cakewalk through blue chip brands like kentucky north carolina villanova uh and as we've seen with the case of north carolina is a relevant example not a great basketball team villanova isn't necessarily you know a world beater either so you know, I just wonder about that. If they if they had kind of gotten into their head that, hey, we're great, and then we're right. kind of, oh, okay, maybe we're not great if, if they didn't know what to do with themselves. But whose really fault is that? That's that's yeah. what I'm asking here. Like, is that, yeah. is that the fault of the coach to say, look, you've got to go back down to earth a little bit and start putting in the effort to, to win the games you have to win? We, we talked about that, you know, during during that stretch of wins, though, that Holman kept trying to bring us all back down to earth. Like, we made right. that comment on this show more than once. So if he was saying it to the press, you know, the, the slow your roll, we're not a final four team necessarily, uh, that, that surely he had to be having those conversations in the room, right? That you're, you're trying to keep a team. And I'm not necessarily saying that I think they've gotten the big head and it, and it suddenly it's popped, but I just look back and I think, you know, for it to go from the high, high to the low, low, there was a really interesting quote, Seth Davis had a piece at the athletic this week where he was quoting, um, you know, a bunch of anonymous coaches from around the ACC and the big 10 about the teams in those two conferences and about Ohio state. um, This particular coach put it this way. said they seem to have a lot of good parts, but it's been a struggle to find the right chemistry. And I'm, I'm exerting here. Um, He said, uh, seems from game to game, they haven't had the consistent production from the guys they need. The problem is offensive imbalance. And then while he praises um, Caleb Wesson for, you know, the job he's doing, you know, the question was, where's the rest of the scoring come from? This is the quote, I think, that's the money shot. They've got a bunch of glue guys. And that's, <laughs> right. I, mean, I mean, that's it, right? So yeah. you've got Caleb as your consistent scorer and then and then a bunch of role players um, that, and you're, you know, Dwayne Washington, you need to see more out of him. The defense is what's kept him in some of the games they're in. Um, but you know, not having, of course, not having DJ Carton for, for these games is, is, um, certainly a thing that's probably hurts them offensively too, but long-term, I'm not sure where, where scoring is coming from. I'm probably more worried about next year, you know, than I am about how this particular season finishes out. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Caleb, look, (laughs) Caleb have an atrocious game against Wisconsin, uh, you know, two for 11 from the field. 
and just just not really getting anything done and a lot of playing time. Justin Aaron's almost had a like <laughs> you know, we, we were rooting on Slack to see like how high his trillion count would get. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he got up to 13 trillion, something Man, like that. Reason you know, 12, 13 minutes on the floor and do nothing, like literally nothing, which is something that, you know, Mark Titus had to try to do to attempt to like, you know, pretend like he was playing hard and actually doing nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know, man, it, this team, I don't think there's a magic, you know, switch that you can flip and suddenly make them, you know, look like they did in November and December, or early December. I don't see that happening. And I understand that there's a lot of issues, particularly with the offense. I just think that part of it is you got to figure out your recruiting a little bit because I agree there's a bunch of glue guys and there really isn't anybody who stands out and can get you points when other people aren't. Um, but I, the other thing is I just think there's there's just a chemistry issue. And, and to me, both of those things fall on the coaching. And I don't, you know, you can say what you will about Thad Mata and, and, to be fair, he didn't do a lot with the players when he had them. But as we pointed out and as we've talked about a little bit, it, Holtman was winning with a lot of Thad Mata's dudes. And mm-hmm. now this is mostly his team. Uh, They're just completely underperforming. And one of the things that I keep thinking about is, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. But people say, you know, Holtman's more comfortable coaching up some of these more experienced guys, guys who have more time in the system. That's great. But if they don't produce after a couple of years, what you're left with is a team full of veterans who aren't that good. And that's yeah. the issue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, that's that's it's one thing to have guys that, OK, we'll coach them up, whatever. That's fine. You get one or two, three years into it and you're like, they're not getting that much better. And that's really what ended up sinking Thad Mata, where you saw guys with these great expectations who just never developed. And I don't know. I don't again. We're freaking out a little bit because Ohio State has not had a great season and they looked really good at the beginning and just have tanked in the second half that we've seen. Um, but I guess my biggest concern is just I haven't seen really anything to, to indicate that it's going to get better. And then, as you mentioned, next year, <laughs> next year is going to be tough, too. So I don't know what the future looks like here. Um, now, the the upshot uh, and I thought uh our colleague uh, David had a nice piece this week, you know, talking about the chances that the Big Ten puts a dozen teams into the right. NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, th- that's still a real thing, right? So uh, the Big Ten is the premier basketball conference uh, in the country this season, without question. And so, you know, I don't know if we're at a place where you'd say, okay, Ohio State's a, a, a bubble team yet. Um, but, you know, you get. <laughs> You get 10, 11, 12 teams in the conference. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of basketball to play, I guess. So I'm sure. not, uh, like I say, I'm not pulling the escape hatch on on this season yet. They can still kind of turn this thing around and get, um, you know, get back in the, the, the right side of it. But they've got to, they've got to start seeing production from, from some of these other guys. We'll see. Well, what happens, what happens if the big 10 gets, you know, 10, 11, 12 teams in the NCAA tournament and Ohio State isn't one of them? Right. Like that's, that's that's the part that gets scary, bad. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That. So, and and the schedule, we've talked about this at nausea, but the schedule is not easy and you're playing some teams. These are the games you have to win. And and that's what I'm saying, you know, with Wisconsin coming in, they're rolling at 13, 10, like you want to be able to beat that team and get a critical win because a lot of these other teams that you're going to be playing are not going to be easy outs at all. 
And if you can't get any production like from the rest of your team outside of Caleb or maybe his brother occasionally, you're going to, you're going to have some issues. And I just, you know, to me, it's going to be kind of fascinating, but also really frustrating in part because of how we talked up uh, not just the team, but Holtman. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, he's got to, he's got to pull something out of his hat because right now it doesn't look like they're going anywhere, which is really frustrating. We'll, we'll see them um, with Rutgers on Wednesday and then Purdue, on Saturday. So that'll be, um, you know, three games in a six day period. You'd like to think they can pick up that, uh, that, uh, Rutgers win. Um, you would hope so. Rutgers Rutgers is a decent team. They're tough. That is not an easy out. No. Um, and, and, you know, produce Purdue. So, uh, you know, could, could go either 50, 50 time will tell. That's right. I would say, um, I would say, you know, one, one game I'm kind of interested to see, uh now for a variety of reasons is the game uh when ohio state hosts the fight in illini on march 5th yeah uh, as the team hosts the 1960 national title team including the general bobby knight that's making right. his I... triumphant return i know you're eager for this being the huge coach knight fan that you are <laughs> um and after seeing uh, bobby knight in assembly hall for the first time after 20 years over the weekend i'm uh, i'm curious to see that what did what did what you think about that, Johnny? And not to get into your you know deep feelings for I know I know I'll Bobby Knight, the brief. human beings. But how did you feel about seeing Coach Knight in this kind of cathartic yeah. uh, environment of Assembly Hall? I, I will give my brief feelings on that. I don't like Bob Knight, and I don't like the way he has comported himself as a human being, uh, not just as a coach, where I think he was physically and mentally abusive to players, but also. Um, in the in the time since right where he really has just carried that grudge on and, and called people out and just said some really horrible things about the administration and things like that to me you know it's interesting like <laughs> we were talking a little bit about Pete Rose and I, I'm not a huge Pete Rose fan either I think he's one of the greatest baseball players of all time and as a baseball player I freaking love Pete Rose um, but as a human being just garbage in so many different ways and you know I I'm just not the kind of guy that loves the idea that, well, if somebody just sticks around enough, we'll eventually like forget that they did X, Y, and Z, or we'll, we'll let them have that moment because heck they've lived long enough and and they deserve it. I just, I don't, I don't believe that. And I, I think that there are some things where we have to kind of put our foot down and say, that's not good. You shouldn't do that. And if you do do that, there are going to be consequences. That includes not getting giant, you know, applauses and people like ovations and all that kind of stuff. But I also acknowledge how much Bob Knight means to Indiana and even to people at Ohio State. And I can't really take that away from people because, again, I I just said, like, I'm a Pete Rose guy. I love watching, you know, Pete Rose. I wasn't old enough to remember him as a player, but as a Cincinnati Red and as someone who accomplished what he did, it's hard for me to put that aside. So I don't blame people who want him to get that moment. Um, Just for me, it's, it's I'm not about it. So. The thing that the Bobby Knight story does for me is it reminds me that we both um, eulogize sports figures for their greatness and overlook their faults and warts and freckles as human beings. And at the same time, it reminds me that forgiveness is a a real thing. And I think it takes a lot of uh, grace to be loving and forgiving to a person who has such a, shall we say, controversial um, uh, aura as Coach Knight does. And, and on one hand, so watching that uh, at the game, 
it was great seeing Gene Katie there, um, knowing the relationship that Knight and Katie had as, as, uh, you know, rival coaches over the years, um, right. looking in the crowd and seeing people like Sage Steele and, um, Mark Cuban, who obviously just had like adore Bobby Knight <laughs> as, as right. Indiana alumni. Um, and I think Sage Steele is fantastic. I don't you say what you will about Mark Cuban, but I think Sage Steele is one of the best journalists in the business. She's fantastic. So, you know, seeing them, kind of just like in this moment of adulation because of what Bobby Knight meant for that school. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, that, that part was great. What bothered me is when you realize that this is a, an elderly man who has, I think, you know, some real challenges, like we've heard stories. Oh, that, sure. You know, yeah. His dementia is a real thing. Cause I seriously thought he was going to take a swing at Dick Vitale there on the sidelines. Like that was an uncomfortable moment where you're like, he might actually hit right. Dickie V on, live television <laughs> yeah and not that dickie v didn't deserve it necessarily but like i don't know that i want to see a pair of octogenarians going at it here in <laughs> national television like you know we're right. in the coliseum of rome so that that part you know made me uncomfortable it's like okay um on one hand it's nice to see you know the the general get his um you know kind of moment of catharsis on the other hand it's like i don't know that we should be watching this spectacle drag on and potentially go, you know, someplace dark and ugly. So my hope is that his return to Ohio state will not be um, one that leads to any controversy. And uh, you know, I still think what that national championship team in 1960 did is, you know, they're the only team that's ever done it for the Buckeyes. So seeing him back with Jerry Lucas and uh, you know, whoever else is, is able to come to town for that event will be pretty cool. Yeah. And, and it is important, I think, to recognize history and things like that. I just, to me, I think there, there's always going to be a line, right? Like, could Joe Pa have outlived the scandal, right? Like, let's say yeah. he decided yeah. to live until he's 100. Do people go like, yeah, but it was in the past. Like, at what line do we say, this is something that we cannot, we cannot put that aside, no matter how old a person ends up becoming? when do we stop, put our foot down and say, this is not something we're going to endorse. This isn't a person we're going to adulate because what they did was just too wrong. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the line is. I don't know how to feel about it or, you know, how, I think that's something that everybody has to decide for themselves. Yeah. Um, Cause like with Pete Rose, eh, Pete Rose, <laughs> again, I think he's kind of a POS and he's, you know, admitted as such in, in a number of interviews, uh, you know, but would I be like, annoyed or outraged if he ended up getting the hall of fame no because you know we're talking about a, a situation like he pointed out with the astros where you've got guys who are essentially going to be reinstated you know in just a couple seasons or or you know less or more and you know just right back on track whereas he's gone forever for something that he did so i don't know it, to me it's just such a it's just a hard personal thing to do and it, it really is something that everybody's got to figure out on their own i think so, um, but like I said, you know, history's a big part of this and, you know, in Ohio State's only won this once, um, you know, I think that's something to, to recognize. And I think one you know. thing that we can both agree on is that, uh, the second one won't be this year. <laughs> no, it won't. I, I, you know, <laughs> despite us saying that they were a final four team earlier, I agree with that. Um, so that's, that's the basketball scene. It's not super hot, but hopefully they can turn around a little bit and, you know, win this gigantic upcoming game against Rutgers. Another interesting thing that's going on with some former Ohio State players slash coach 
is Luke Fickle and the drama surrounding whether he was going to leave Cincinnati for Michigan State. And I was really interested in how this kind of unfolded because for me, part of it is obviously Luke Fickle, they were going to throw a butt ton of money at the dude, right? They were going to make sure that he was going to be making significantly more than he would have at Cincinnati. But for whatever reason, be it family, be it concerns about potential sanctions, Sparty's going to have here soon, uh, be it just a, you know an athletic department and a lot of chaos right now for all kinds of different reasons. He decided he was going to stay put at Cincinnati. Do you think that Luke Fickle made the right decision? I 100% think he made the right decision, and and for a few reasons. One, I I find it interesting to see, you know, there's this sort of, of mindset that it's like if you're not constantly moving up until you get to a power five school and ideally, you know, an Ohio state, uh, Alabama, Georgia, you know, blue blood type spot that, that you just need to continue to keep climbing, that there's something right. horribly wrong with you. It's better to go and take a shot at being the head coach at Ohio state and fail than to never take the shot, I guess is, is sort of the, the prevailing mindset. So I think it takes a lot uh, and, and I've said this different times when we look at coaching, over the years. I mean, look at Chris Ash, um, look at, you know, some of the other assistants that came through during, uh, Hazel. Oh, perfect example. And, and you look at some of these guys and say, okay, their, their coaching careers, their head coaching careers could well be over um, because they took the wrong opportunity, right. you know? So Ash going to Rutgers is an example. Like we, I think we all knew that was a bad job <laughs> when he yeah. took it. Now, Luke Fickle's offered reportedly 25 to $30 million. That's a, that's a, what's real adult money. So turning down 20 some <laughs> million dollars is no small thing. I think in this case though, you look and you say, okay, one is Michigan state a great job. That's well, a good job. Um, yeah. You know, certainly that's a, you know, a big 10 school. Um, they've done a, they've done a good job, not a great job, but a good job of, of, um, you know, being competitive, certainly against, uh, Michigan, they, <laughs> Mark D'Antonio held his own in that rivalry and I, we, yep. we all love him for that. Um, nobody was better, you know, for most of D'Antonio's tenure at taking two and three star guys and making them, you know, getting the absolute best out of them that you could get, uh, maybe overperforming their talent up until at least the, the, the last year or two. So you could say, okay, Michigan State's a good job, not a great job. Uh, money was okay, fine. Uh, recruiting footprint, eh, you're going to be recruiting the same parts of the country you're recruiting now at UC. Maybe you're able to get a higher caliber of player because it's a Big Ten school and instead of a G5 school. All right, that's fine. But he's got kind of a good thing going in that you're close to home. You know, So he's an Ohio guy, close to home. Um, you're, you're able to um, you know, draw on the footprint of – Ohio and in the surrounding area where there's a lot of great football talent. So that's okay. He knows his administration and obviously has good rapport and relationship with the people at the university. I think it seems like UC starting to reinvest in its facilities. That was always a knock on UC is that their facilities were kind of crummy. Okay. They're starting right. to put some money back into that. The question ultimately becomes, is it better to be the big fish in a small pond or to be a small fish in a big pond. So would you rather be looking up constantly at Ohio state, Michigan, and Penn state and hoping that you can outperform every few years, or would it be better to stay at a school like UC and dominate the competition year in and year out and know that at some point, if you do it well enough, long enough, you might get a shot in an expanded playoff situation. 
right? And or, I, you know, I don't you just wait until another a better Power Five school comes along because he'll have yeah. other opportunities. <laughs> well, I was going to say I think that's the third option, and I think that's probably what he's holding out for because I, I do think that at some point Fickle will pick something outside of Cincinnati and and just the right offer will come along and I'll have to take it. I just don't think Michigan state's the right offer and everything that they're going through institutionally, obviously you've got potential sanctions coming along the pike, which would not be good for you. I mean, if you know, you end up limiting scholarships or all kinds of things like that, that's not a situation you want to walk into. Um, I just, to me, it never made a ton of sense for him to take that job and the reason why is because I just think he can do better than that. And I, I understand that you've got Big Ten money, you've got Big Ten resources, all that stuff. And that, that's real. That's Even at Michigan State, even at Rutgers, that's real. Um, I just, I don't know. I, it didn't seem like the right place or the right time. And I also think family does play into it. I, I don't think that the Fickles really want to leave that area right now. Um, you know, as you said, he's an Ohio guy. And they've spent pretty much their entire career you know, in a very small geographical space. And if that's the case and you've got a bunch of kids and you want to raise them, you don't want to uproot them. I I think those are all valid reasons to to stay where you're at. And as you mentioned, he's, he's kicking ass in Cincinnati. So it it really feels like you don't want to upset the apple cart when things are going pretty well. And Cincinnati will definitely try to bump up his contract and make it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, 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 just, I just think right now there are going to be other opportunities waiting in the wings. And if he can continue to win 10 and 11 games at Cincinnati, there no one's going to look at that and go, oh, well, just Cincinnati. Like, the more you do it, the more people are going to look at that and go, this guy's the real deal. He knows how to coach. He knows what he's doing. And, so, and I also think that you, know, you, you want to be careful of drawing too many conclusions. I saw somebody tweet one of the national pundits, you know, what does this say about the Michigan state job? I don't know that Luke fickle turning this offer down says that much about Michigan state. Now I think the concerns, you know, is, are you walking into a bad um, administrative situation? Are you walking into, you know, a cultural situation? God knows they had no shortage of issues with player personnel sure um you know from sexual assault on through and of course the the nasser situation hanging over the whole athletic department in general you know those are all still real valid concerns but i don't know that fickle specifically turning the job down you know suddenly shines the light that oh this is a terrible job um i think it just wasn't the right fit for this guy somebody else will come along and it'll be a great job for them right uh and and that's the real deal so let me let me blow your mind for a minute. Okay. <laughs> Luke Fickle, next head coach at the University of Michigan. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I don't I mean, think you'd do it. I don't think you could do it. I don't think you'd do it. I, mean, James, I don't think you'd do uh, it. <laughs> I, 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 and look, and I want to tell you something. I am the last person who will sit here and say, like, oh, no way, man. Loyal dude, Ohio State, never coach Michigan. I am not saying that. I just don't think that that is a position that Fickle wants to be in. I think he would, and I, and honestly, personality-wise, I think that's why a lot of people were tabbing him for the Michigan State job because they they thought this is going to be one of those like medium marquee jobs where a guy like Fickle could kind of like fly under the radar a little bit but still have nice national prestige but not have to be on the front cover of, you know, hypothetical, non-existent sports magazines anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why a lot of people tagged him for that job because they thought that would be a perfect fit personality wise. I just don't think fickle wants that kind of exposure. And unless it was Ohio state, I don't know that he would take a job like that. Um, 
So I don't know. I, I, I think that would be interesting, but I just don't think that's the kind of job that he's looking for. I feel bad so. for the Sparty fans, and I, and I have uh, so so one of my one of my coworkers is a is a loyal Spartan, one of my best friends in the whole world, married a Spartan. I have no hate in my heart for for Spartan Nation or whatever they call themselves. <laughs> I feel bad for them because Fickle seemed like the perfect successor to Mark sure. D'Antonio. I mean, Fickle is almost D'Antonio 2.0, right? I mean, you both get that same kind of grinchy scowl on the sidelines, like could stare death at, uh, at, at uh, you know, officials and opposing coaches, you know, maybe still have that same kind of gruff exterior with the media. I mean, it would have been per- defensive minded coach ties to Ohio and Ohio state. Oh, it's just, it's too good to write it any other way. So I feel bad for them that that's not going to happen. I really don't know who they go with next, but I just had to ask the Michigan question because I'm looking and saying, you know, James Joseph Harbaugh III is, if he if he's not on the hot seat, it's got to be getting warm quick, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I wrote about this last week. I, I mean, to me, See, I can Michigan, that up for you. Well, and I was about to say, like, I don't, the problem that Michigan has is that, you know, it's the opposite of the situation Ohio State finds himself in. Ohio State, Ryan Day, and I wrote about this, Ryan Day set expectations so high his first season that Ohio State can really do whatever the hell they want with him, right? If, if Ryan Day continues to kick ass and he's amazing and he's winning Big Ten championships and going to national championships and getting the playoffs consistently and all this other stuff, fine. You can up his salary. You can make him one of the highest paid coaches in the United States because he's earned that. On the other hand, if he's like a fluke, and this was just a one season thing. And we're looking at a Mark, you know, Mark Helfrich type situa- situation where he's not going to perform on a consistent basis. He can fire his ass and it's not a big deal. But Michigan is stuck in the sunk cost fallacy where they've put so much money into this guy. He's the third highest paid coach in college football. He's winning nine, 10 games a year. Maybe if you're lucky, 10 games, he might win another bowl game. I think he's like one in four in bowls. Um, that's just good enough to keep his job at that level. And then if you're going to fire him, you've got to have the guts to pull the trigger on that. And it gets increasingly more difficult to do that the longer you have him. So to me, they're in just a terrible situation. And I don't know. I really don't know what it's going to take to fire that dude. I, th- I think Michigan is going to have to be like completely tanking for Michigan to finally go. This is just not working. If Jim Harbaugh wins nine games a year, he can coach indefinitely at Michigan, as far as I can tell, because I don't think they have the guts to fire the dude. So I I think they should. I don't think he's going to get any better than this. I don't see him making some kind of great leap to make them nationally relevant, but it's, it's just, it's kind of weird to watch. They're just stuck in this weird limbo where they, they kind of just have to deal with mediocre football forever. <laughs> so th- three thoughts. One, I too always wanted to ride the Concord and it will always, always, yeah. always bother. Yeah, that me was the analogy I made. I made the Concord. Yeah, I, I mean, I I will forever. Um, there there will be a part of me that will forever be sad that I never took that flight. Uh, you know what I didn't really... mention, Andy, is that my uncle actually did. He did fly on the Concorde, and his review was, uh, it was fast, and it was. Other than that, it was just like a regular plane ride. <laughs> it wasn't that great. Well, thanks for so, killing that little part of my. Yeah, game, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, you know, I guess I guess maybe that's maybe that soothes my uh, my my angst about it a little bit. But the the, the other two thoughts, one, uh, you're you're right. They're in a terrible terrible situation, and I love how we've 
everything comes back to the rivalry that we've turned this thing about sure. fickle. I realize I took us there, but took us back to, uh, to, to the rivalry. Th- they are in a terrible position, but you know, nine win Earl, you know, Ohio state's kind of set the, you know, the precedent here that you can fire a guy who is just consistently middling through um, middling through high expectation environment, right? So Earl didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, right? well, I mean, Ohio State can though. That's what I'm saying. Though Ohio State will do that. I think there's a cultural and, and institutional expectation yeah. of excellence. I don't know that Michigan has that. Yeah. I don't know that they have that in- expectation at Michigan. The 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 uh, the Michigan man mystique is more important than yeah. You know, do, do whatever it takes to win. So the, the, this this brings up a bigger philosophical question, and one I've I've always struggled with. You know, you you mentioned Joe Pot earlier, and let's let's just pretend for a minute that he didn't you know oversee um one of the darkest chapters in in college football history so let's set aside the reason he got out of the coaching business but you look and say okay he was head coach in happy valley for what 78 years uh (laughs) yeah i've often looked in in the silly season of college football coaching at how quickly some schools pull the pen on firing and, and hiring a new coach and i've often wondered you know some of those, some of those guys uh, who coached long, long, long times at their schools, you know, didn't start off winning national championships in year one and two, um, and and there were stretches during Woody Hayes' tenure, you know, where you'd look and say, by modern standards, Woody Woody might have gotten axed two or three times before he sure. did. So, what's the trade-off between you know giving a coach some leeway and longevity? And saying, you know what, they're going to build a program and an identity and people are going to want to come and be a part of that versus, hey, we need results because we're paying you three to five million dollars a year and we want return on investment, darn it. Right. And and that's well, my opinion on that is what is the highest level of expectations that a program is going to have, right? Ohio State, you're going to win national championships, right? You're, going, you're in Alabama, you want to win national championships. Oklahoma, you want to win national championships. Michigan State maybe get the big 10 championship game. Right. And so to me, because of the way college coaching works and, and how quickly people, if they're in an upwardly mobile situation, like a Luke fickle or someone else, uh, because they move so quickly and and don't stay at, you know, these colleges for 30 or 40 years anymore. Uh, I think the higher level schools with those expectations just don't have the same kind of leeway because they, I mean, shoot, that guy might jump for the NFL. He might jump for another, you know, a tier team. Mm-hmm. So to me, I just don't think that they see the loyalty and therefore they don't feel that they have to give it. And at Ohio state, which Ohio state's really interesting, I think, because, and this can be both good and bad depending on your perspective. But I, I think that Ohio state is kind of unique in a lot of ways because the the brand really is, above everything else right so there there is i mean yes bringing urban meyer into ohio state was great but it it was not because urban meyer is a loyal ohio boy and we want to make sure that he stays you know in the buckeye state it's because he's going to win national championships and that's why you hire the dude that's why you hire ryan day a guy with no ties to ohio state um beyond you know obviously being a coach but like personality wise his background all that stuff you know he's new hampshire dude um high state just wants to win and i think you can afford the luxury if you're in iowa and you can have kirk ferentz around for 40 years that's fine but for these upper level teams i just don't think they they care about that kind of loyalty anymore because they don't expect it from the coaches 
So, you know, I don't know. It, to me, it's a results-oriented world. It's a results-oriented um, atmosphere in college football. And these blue blood teams, these teams with expectations of winning championships, do not have time to waste because I think they can see how fragile it is. And and that because Ohio State has that mentality, I think that, that was what allows Ohio State to continue to be really good year after year after year. They have that shark mentality. They've had it since Trestle. So I think that's useful. We just um, need to say one more thing about Jim Harbaugh before we turn the page on this conversation to other fun things. How fun was it uh, reading reading the comments from retired Big Ten official Don? And oh I don't God. know how yeah, that was Don's great. last name, Capron, Capron, I don't know. Um, I love it. Talking about Jim Harbaugh and comparing him to a fourth grader. Oh, it was great. It made me made me chuckle uh, sensibly for quite some time. He says, uh, <laughs> you throw something out on the field, I can understand that, dot, dot, dot. If you're a fourth grader, if you're an yeah. adult that's paid more than $5 million <laughs> a year to coach college football, I'd expect more. Oh, isn't that true? Isn't that that true? whole story was incredibly amazing and if people haven't read it uh that was from teddy greenstein at the uh at the chicago tribune and just uh the stories that were involved in that you really should check it out it, it talks about you know ohio state uh it talks about you know michigan state talks about bo Pelini being the absolute worst person to have to deal with which is surprising, not surprising. no one. <laughs> oh my god the least surprising thing in the history of the universe and then he tells a really awesome story about integrating um refereeing actually in, in college football so i yeah check that out if you can it's it's a really really great piece uh last thing just real quick before we get to ask us anything did you watch any of the xfl i did and okay. i had to say you think? It, it, it was so I, I did not watch any game to its completion but i had to get me uh some more cardale jones um magic just shot straight into my veins were you satisfied with the level of cardale that you received yeah i thought it was great i mean you know it's clear he's one of the best players in uh in the league you know it's still i mean to some extent i look at some of the really crummy um quarterbacks that there are in the nfl i mean it's not like there are 65 you know grade 1a prime usda quarterbacks in the national football league i mean there are some pretty crummy quarterbacks out there so it still flummoxed a bit that cardale jones isn't on a roster somewhere and and as a as a professed pittsburgh steelers fan i will forever in a day say that pittsburgh should call cardale up and get him on that roster post haste i think he would be a perfect successor to big ben roethlisberger that said i really enjoy the xfl experiment i mean who doesn't love you know, literally 13 seconds after um, random kicker shanks a 35-yard field goal attempt, Tom Luganbill putting a mic in his face and saying, so, Johnny, you totally shanked that 35-yarder. What was going <laughs> through your mind as you totally muffed that really important kicking attempt? You know, like, that was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I think it takes the things that we like about the NFL, fixes some of the things we don't like about the NFL. You know, there, there, there were... Um, there's no silliness about, you know, what is a catch and targeting and some of those kind of things that we all gripe about. And it injects some Vince McMahon, you know, reality TV that I don't mind. Um, and Hey, here's the big thing. Football in February. I'm good with it. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, 
I first of all, by the way, I watched about five minutes of the XFL, and it was literally I was just laughing my head off as I watched Matt McGloin just lose it after every play <laughs> because clearly he had no offensive line, nobody to throw to, nobody knew what they were doing, and Matt McGloin is just having a kitten on the field, and it was one of the funniest things uh, that I had seen in a long time, which is pretty amazing. Um, but I got to say, here's the thing about the XFL. I'm not a huge fan of the XFL just because it's I don't really care that much. Uh, but I will say that credit has to be given where credit is due. The XFL in its first incarnation obviously didn't pan out super hot, but it introduced a lot of really interesting uh, innovations to maybe not the game of football, but to the broadcasting of football that you know people are still using right now. Like the Skycam, that was an XFL thing. People forget that. That was something that they kind of pioneered and came up with. And now it's seen as like an essential part of football broadcasting, both yeah. college and professional. So I, you know, again, I'm not going to be watching a lot of XFL. I'm going to root for Cardale and, you know, Tracy Sprinkle and whoever else is in the, you know, the league from Ohio State. But I'm really looking to see what kind of impact it has on how we just pay attention um, to football in general and, and how it's broadcasted. Because there were definitely some pretty cool things that they managed to do back in the day. So hopefully they continue that kind of innovation. Well, and you know, you talk about that, you know, kind of bringing, there's something to be said, you know, in, in business, um, or really in, in most walks of life, iron sharpens iron, right? So competition makes you better. If you have a competitor who is challenging you, you know, as opposed to the NFL is a big old monopoly. Like what's, what's the, what's the NFL's competition? I guess other, other sporting events or, or entertainment, options you know if people choose to spend their eyeballs their time their money doing things other than football but having another football product out there and people watch it and say hey you know i kind of dig the way they did that kickoff thing uh right. that's a lot better than what the nfl is doing does that then you know push the nfl to say hmm all right that's a that's an innovation that fans enjoy and maybe it solves this problem or that problem for us let's give that a shot that that to me will have been worth the experiment. Um, I, I'll be curious to see how long the XFL lives. I think it lives longer than the AAF did, if nothing else, just because you know Vince McMahon is a billionaire with an ego, and right, so he'll yeah, right you know want to be able to say his was better than the last billionaire with an ego who tried to do a football league. Um, <laughs> but if it you know if it causes the NFL, the NFL I think in a lot of ways uh, is ripe for some some improvement you know they're you know you say what you will about roger goodell you know i don't think he's been um either as bad as his detractors would say nor as good as i think he should be as commissioner yeah. of the national football league so with the on you know it ultimately comes back to the on the field product if the xfl's on the field product is good enough to keep us entertained and i mean the actual football is good enough to watch then it's got a future it, it fills a gap it serves a need uh if you continue to see offensive line play that, you know, looks like uh, an average Mac team, then, you know, okay, maybe not so good. Yeah. And and that'll have to play itself out as the season goes on, but it'll definitely be interesting yep. to see what they come up with. Um, so that's, that's that. Let's get into ask us anything, but before we do that, I do want to remind you that the uh, 11 dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com dry goods. 11 warriors.com shirts, hats, stickers, and more all kinds of fun things. Um, yeah. I think um, one of my favorite tweets last week was the reminder of uh, getting your, your undefeated out of conference t-shirts. Right. Um, we we're about a week past the birthday of 
you know, legendary Ohioan Uncle Billy, William Tecumseh Sherman. I I will correct you on this. And and by the way, we can have a podcast where I literally just spend an hour recounting the entire life history of William Tecumseh Sherman. Uh, He was born February 8th, sir, on... (laughs) 1820 february 8th i that's I seem right to know another great ohioan who was born on that day i'm i'm thinking i'm thinking wait it's johnny lee ginter happy belated birthday johnny thank you it's actually my brother-in-law who's born on the 8th. i was born on the 9th and i'm really pissed about it because if, oh, if i had so so i'm bad at math <laughs> well it's okay but what i'm saying like, though Andy, one two important. three days on my fingers how funny this is, is important though because if i had the gumption to emerge into the world just a few hours earlier i could yeah, have had yeah. that magical date and i screwed it up and I've been screwing things up since then. So don't feel bad because we all have. You know, could you, get that cha- I, like, I could you really, go down to the vital I, stats and get that changed on your birth certificate? No, I, like, I, I the court. so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's, it is definitely something that you should all check out. And we've got uh, all that great stuff. And, and let's say you're in the South and you're feeling a little saucy. Go ahead and go and get one of the shirts and flaunt it. That's all. I'm I, I will ask the first "ask us anything" question. I will ask. I'll do it. it. Go for it, Ginter. All right. So, uh, in the pantheon of Civil War generals from Ohio, because apparently all of the good ones came from Ohio, yeah. is, is General Sherman at the top of the list? Uh, no, he's not. Um, okay, this is this is going to be a. I'm going to make a really long answer, a, a relatively short answer. When it comes to Sherman is not, he was a incredible logistics general. He was very, very uh, intentional and smart about strategy and logistics. He was an engineer at West Point and he knew things like supply trains and terrain. He had spent his early career in Georgia and Florida and other places in the South mapping it out. So he had a really good understanding of the land and how to use it. Um, but what he was not really great at was a battlefield tactics general. And that emerges a number of times in significant battles throughout his career in the Civil War, where he just makes some really stupid decisions. And he can't take key positions. And he's, again, a genius at setting himself up to win. He was in a, like he could lose a, a pitched battle, but like still have his army in the most perfect position to take advantage of whatever happened next. So while he wasn't a great, like, I guess we could say a game day coach, he was very good at you know, what we might say is recruiting and coaching up the team. Uh, the best general to come out of Ohio was Ulysses S. Grant. And, um, you know, people will crap on his record sometimes because of the losses that his army sustained fighting Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee was a brilliant, uh, he was a brilliant tactics general. Um, and Grant, you know, just pound him into submissions. So, yeah, I, I think it's got to be Grant. And Sherman was brilliant in his own way, but maybe in a way that he could have had a larger impact had he been a general like during World War One or World War Two or something like that. I think he had, he had a very keen mind for logistics and overall strategy and maybe not so much battlefield tactics so one of these days we'll have to do a, a bonus episode of the podcast where we'll do johnny's ranking of civil war general from ohio <laughs> i mean i don't think i'm exaggerating like there were an inordinate number yes of the critical generals you know that that really won the war to save the republic from the state of ohio like i've always yeah. marveled as a student of history at just how many of them came from home sweet ohio yeah, and Lincoln's Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton. So there, yeah, there are a number of of number of Civil War generals 
uh, including some who would go on to become presidents later in, in James A. Garfield. Um, and I think McKinley, I don't know if he was a general or not, but he was, he was definitely an officer in the, yeah. In, in the, I mean, he was, I mean, he was a Colonel, if not, if not a, I'm going to have to look that up now. Yeah. Um, but anyway. yeah, it, huge amount of, uh, Civil War generals, by the way, not an Ohioan, but probably the most underrated Civil War general, uh, I would say is probably, um, the Rocket Chickamauga, uh, Pap Thomas. People aren't familiar with him. You should look him up. He's, he's pretty awesome. Um, from Virginia though. Anyway, let's, let's do a little ask us anything. Let's, I, first of all, thank you so much for that question, Andy. I really, I really appreciate it because I do love going on long Civil War rants. Okay. Um, I was, I was wrong. I gotta, I gotta, before we get into the real, I mean, oh, ask us anything is my favorite segment of the show each week. So, um, president McKinley was a brevet major in the 23rd Ohio infantry. So I was wrong. He did not have a chicken on the collar nor a star. Um, just, uh, just a brevet. So battlefield type promotion to major right. and then went on to do fine things as, uh, yeah. 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 As Benjamin one of, Harrison so though, I think he also an Ohio guy, right? Benjamin Harrison might've been a, yeah, yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, one of what eight eight presidents is that our is that the number? Uh, I think one of seven, depending on how you want to actually calculate it. No, uh, it's eight. We're going with eight. I, 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 it's, <laughs> screw Virginia. It's I'm talking about that. Um, Harrison. So Harrison was, however, a brevet brigadier general. There you go. Um, yeah, during the war, and was a um, was a, a colonel in the regular army. So All right. there you go. Random you military got. trivia for the day. Excellent. Uh, so I got a question here. This, by the way, you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter, or you can do what Chris did, which is hit me up in my DMs and ask me this question, which right is, uh, if you see another guy walking down the street and you notice that he missed a belt loop, do you tell him or is it too weird that you noticed? Also, this could include if you see a guy with his fly down. I, uh, that man, that is a great question. So I know fly, it's an amazing question. Fly down is probably easier for me than the belt loop. Cause I, I think, I mean, I think we all want somebody to give us the heads up. If yeah, the do barn little doors, XYZ, right. Yep. You know. That's right. If the barn door is hanging open, you know, I, I gotta know, uh, the belt loop thing is kind of odd now. So I have to admit, um, and I don't mean to make light of people who are, are actually, um, you know, living with OCD, but my one like twinge of, of OCD tendencies is with clothing, things like that. So mm-hmm. like if somebody has a shirt tag sticking out or, um, you know, missing belt loops, a great example, it drove me nuts. I was at a trade show the other day with my coworkers and, um, a coworker, you know, you know how to dress shirts, you have button buttons on your collars, you know, to hold right. your collar down. He hadn't buttoned those buttons and so his <laughs> collars were just like flapping in the just wind flapping they, around i mean they were laying down okay i guess i shouldn't say they were flapping in the wind but the fact that he hadn't buttoned those buttons like the buttons are there for a reason you are intended to button them and right. i wanted to walk up to him and and button them for him or at least say um excuse me coworker friend could you please go do that before my head explodes <laughs> uh, i didn't however i didn't say anything because Good for you I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not his husband nor, nor his mother. And so it is not my place to dress him. And I, I shut that down. It was hard. <laughs> it was very hard, but, but I did not. So on the belt loop issue, no, I'd yeah. probably just, um, walk on by and let that one go. 
I feel the same way. I would not tell someone with uh, the belt loop thing. I, you know, we're all going to look dumb at some point in our lives. It's part of the human condition. It's fine. Uh, with the fly though, the fly, you gotta, you gotta let somebody know. So you gotta do the X, Y, Z. You gotta help somebody out on that. That's, that's a little too embarrassing for, you know, collective cultural consciousness to bear. So we, I think we have to help people out with that. Um, also what I think would be really uncomfortable and I, I don't know why it is necessarily, but let's say somebody just like, okay. So somebody's adjusting their belt, like they unbuckle and then rebuckle their belt and they do it in public, why is that so incredibly, like, disconcerting to watch? I don't know why. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, this happened to me the other day. Um, like, it's not and... like they're taking their pants off. They're just like, I gotta, I just, the belt loop's too tight or it's too loose. I just gotta adjust it. But if I, I see I somebody s- doing that, I'm like, I gotta turn, I gotta turn the other way. I can't. I was that. very much, like, uh, debating this with myself. I walked out of my hotel room at this trade show. So the same trade show where I wanted to button this guy's collars. I <laughs> walked out of my hotel room. I, you know, I, I'd cinched up my belt and halfway between my room and the elevator, I realized I wanted to go a notch tighter. I needed just a little more structure yeah. in my life. And so I literally looked both ways up and down the hall <laughs> to make sure nobody was watching before <laughs> I mean, I wasn't unhitching my yeah, bridges. I'm just tightening. I mean, literally just tightening the belt one notch. Right. And I just had a moment like, oh, I got to make sure nobody's watching while I do this. Like I was doing something wrong. Why did I do that? I don't know. Yeah. They're going to call the police. Um, all right. This next one's from St. Louis Wookiee. He just, I, I will summarize his question, which is essentially, you know, with all the success that NFL teams have had throwing the tight end, especially as we saw in the uh, Super Bowl, why don't more college teams pick up on that? Why do we not see as much utilization of the tight end in, in college football? Oh, man. You know, so if you figure that out, I think we could probably bottle it and sell it. Um, <laughs> right. Like, I think here's what I think. I honestly think this. I, I think the reason why tight ends are utilized much more in the running game and the blocking game in college football is because you can get so much more mileage out of the running game in college football. Right. So, Yes, you could risk it and have a quarterback who is not as competent and not a good as good at reading defenses throw the ball more to tight ends. But I just think that when you're in college football, they want to simplify the passing game. And if they're going to put a tight end out there, they know they can get probably five to seven yards if you got a good running back. If you have that extra blocker, I to me it's just a safety personnel kind of thing. In the NFL, you can rely on these quarterbacks to to hit those tight ends and, and not worry about it if you got three guys blitzing the quarterback. Um, in college football, I think they're just too afraid to to let quarterbacks have that kind of um, I don't know risk. I guess you you also maybe add to that the notion that when you've when you've thinned the herd that next level, uh, you, you assume that an NFL tight end has got fantastic hands and right. you know exactly. is, is 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 good at running around so doing all those kind of things that you'd want him to do as a as a pass catcher instead of a, a blocker or, right. or a rusher where you know in the nfl maybe he's just a really big guy you know who <laughs> that's right runs faster than a lineman and may also on occasion have been seen to catch a ball uh right. you know maybe that's it i, I yeah guys like Guys like Travis Kelsey and Gronkowski and, and and Kittle and all them, like they just may be really rare specimens. You know what I mean? That they just may not be something that you get a lot. They don't grow college. on trees. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, last one here before we get out is our good friend Alvin. He wants to know if we were only allowed to eat at one restaurant for the remainder of our lives, what would it be and why? 
That is, that's deep weed, Alvin. So, you know, your gut reaction is to think of like somewhere amazing, like a Jeff Ruby's or something, but in no, reality, it can't be your favorite place. It can't cannot be your favorite place. Well, so, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm going back to something like, you know, Waffle House. Cause that's, I couldn't do that. No, it, to me, I got to go to a place that has the largest possible menu. I'm going to like the, the cheesecake factory. Ooh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I want something strategy. with like a 40 page menu that I, I will be able to diversify my choices. If I start getting bored of food, that's going to be the worst thing in the history of the universe. I can't deal with that. Yeah. Here's the challenge though. Like, am, is this like coming out of my regularly scheduled budget? Um, you know, as opposed to like, oh, you, you have won the lottery and can only eat at this, you know, cause the cost of it is another factor too, right? That's so true. cheesecake factory might be on the pricey and maybe I got to go, maybe I got to go like a Ruby Tuesdays or a, or, or a Frisch's big boy or something yeah. to get, you know, I, Hmm. There's, see, there's actually, a lot of factors what? to this, to this You're right, conundrum. Because if it was something where you could only eat at that restaurant, I think my logic would follow, but I actually agree with you. I see what you're saying. If you could like, if you could eat anything else you wanted that you make yourself, but you could only eat out at one restaurant, yeah. that changes the equation a little bit. And I do agree with that. That that's a good point. Um, that's Alvin giving me like deep existential challenges. <laughs> that's right. Frisch's isn't a bad choice. And we talked about me some Frisch's big boy. Yeah, it's amazing. I'll uh, share my pro tip for fee- folks who are not connoisseurs of the Frisch's big boy. Uh, I have been going there since I was a wee tot oh, yeah. uh, with my dad on Sunday mornings. We'd go to the bre- breakfast bar and it'd be me and pop and some of my best memories, just chilling with dad at the breakfast bar on Sunday morning. I l- love it. But so the, pro- yeah, yeah, the, the big boy sandwich, the super big boy in particular is one of the perfect sandwiches um, God ever created. But if you want to take it even up a notch, if you want to try to improve on perfection, my recommendation is to order it Swiss Miss style. And by that, I mean, you're going to swap the white bread bun for the rye bun like they serve on the Swiss Miss. That will take out the third layer of bread in the sandwich and give you a little deeper flavor profile. And also switch the American cheese out for Swiss. Again, just a little deeper flavor profile pairs nicely with the spiciness of the rye. And Bringing a bottle of wine. (laughs) Really... It's really how you eat that. Oh, friends and fellow Buckeyes, that is a fine, fine eating experience. My only challenge with the big boy is that their fries and onion rings do leave something to be desired. And so yeah. you skip those sides and go straight to the salad bar and you and get a piece of pie on your way out. Oh, hey, that's good living, Johnny. You know what I'm talking about? So, and I will say as someone who, who did a lot of Sunday, uh, post-church Sunday morning, uh, Frisch's adventures with my grandparents, uh, I also very much enjoyed the fact that Frisch's was the last restaurant to get rid of their smoking section, which in the Frisch's in Middletown was just the entire restaurant because there was no demarcation between smoking and non-smoking sections. Uh, it's it's definitely an experience, and I really enjoyed it. But I will also say it would be hard for me to give it pizza, so I'd have to find something that combines a lot of those things. Um, that's a tough question, Alvin. I'm, you know what? I'm just going to pull the trigger and say Frisch's because I have such an emotional connection to it. Uh, but you know, I'm sure I'd change my mind in a half second. So who knows, but that's, that's ask us anything and continue sending those in. We love answering them. We love hearing them. And, uh, Andy, that was an excellent dub cast. And because of that, we, I guess we'll have to do another one next week, but until then I'm Johnny, I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time.